All right, let's take our Bibles together to the little book of Jude, second to the last book of the Bible. Important book right here in these last days in which we live as we go verse by verse through this little book of the Bible, little epistle with much to say to our hearts and lives. The book of Jude. We'll have one verse this morning again. And yet there's so much in the book of Jude that takes us back to other things that we need to consider this morning. We'll start reading again from the beginning of the, of the book. The Bible says in Jude, verse number 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. He says in verse number 5, where we pick up our preaching through this book, he says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this. Now, this book is about apostasy, which simply means people turning away from things that are believed and assuredly to be true. And they're turning away from them, though they were once there in that place. It's a description of our day that we live in today. And as Jude begins to talk about that, he says, what I want to do when I talk about this day of apostasy in which you live I want you to remember something. I want to take your mind back to an example of what's going on in your day has already occurred. What's going on in people's lives around you is just history repeating itself. I don't know who said it, but I remembered it in school. I probably didn't remember a lot of things in school, but I did remember in history class, they said the only thing that men learn from history is that men never learn from history. In other words, people just keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again throughout all of history. Probably most of the problems that you will have in your life or the bad decisions that you will make in your life, you've already watched somebody else make those decisions. You just didn't learn to know that that would happen in your life. And so what God does in the book of Jude, He begins to start giving examples. He says, this is the day in, you li- in which you live... Now, I want you to remember some examples back here from history so that you'll learn lessons that these people back here did not learn and so you can escape some things that these people did not escape. It's so much better to learn from someone else's mistakes than for you having to go through them yourselves. There's nothing like life being a teacher, but there's some things that I don't want to learn in life by making wrong choices and sinful decisions in my life. I would rather look at somebody else that's already done that and say, I don't want to go there. I don't have to experience that to know that's not good for me. And so what happens here in the book, he begins giving these illustrations. And I am 
keenly intent in verse 5, it's sort of strange how God begins to give this illustration. He's talking about an apostate world. He's talking about a heathen, ungodly society that like we live in today. So he, the first illustration he uses is his own people. He uses the illustration of his own people in the Old Testament of the lessons that we need to learn. He doesn't take some terrible heathenistic story out of the Old Testament of people that didn't know God. He gives us an illustration about the people that knew God more than anybody knew God. And about what happened in their lives and the destruction that was wrought in their lives. Now I want to look, he says in verse 5, if you look again, he says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this. You know, what God really des- desires to do in our lives is not tell us some new thing, but remind us of some truth that we need to remember. Look, if you will, in just a couple pages over to Second Peter. This is found over and over again in the Bible. When God tells us to remember something, or He says, I put you in remembrance, He's talking about something often recalled but easily forgotten. He's talking about something that you ought to know, you ought to already understand, but that you forget. You know what? We are creatures that forget things. And I'm not just talking about like I do, forget your keys, forget where you put your wallet, forget where you put your phone. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about we we forget the truth. We forget important things in our lives that we used to have rock bed solid in our hearts. And before anybody goes off the deep end in their life, they start forgetting things that they knew to be true. They just put it out of their mind, though they knew that. I knew that I wasn't supposed to do this. But I forgot about the consequences. I forgot about what would happen in my life if I do these things. He said in 2 Peter chapter 1, sort of the same thing in verse number 12. If you look at it, wherefore I will not be negligent, to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you once knew them, and be established in the present truth. Yeah, I think it meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. You know, I would be a negligent uh, minister of the gospel if I did not put you in remembrance. I'm not just supposed to entertain you. I'm not supposed to give you something new that you never heard about. I'm supposed to put you in remembrance of things that you know that the devil's trying to get you to forget. He said in 2 Peter chapter 3, if you look as he contends, continues on that little line of putting us in remembrance. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 1, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before of the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. There's so many things that God said in His Word, we just forget about them. We, we, we've heard them, we know them to be true, but we just forget about them. We don't have them in the forefront of our hearts and minds. Verse 3 says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. So he, he, it's more important, the, the closer you get to the coming of the Lord and you get in the last days, for you to remind yourself and for you to be reminded. That's what he's saying in Second Peter 3. That's what he's saying in the book of Jude. In 2 Peter 3, he reminds us of the coming day of judgment in verse 7. He reminds us of the of things being dissolved. He reminds us of, of eternal things. So one of the jobs of the preacher is just to remind you. Most people don't like to be reminded. 
I know that already. Well, you need to hear it again. You know, probably we need messages repeated more often than we think. I never forget, I don't, I don't know if it was my dad or my granddad or somebody told me one time. I had a habit of, I never wanted to repeat a message. And I still don't do that very often at all. But I, I remember who it was that came to me and, and said, um, you know, if a message is worth preaching once, it's worth preaching again. Because we need to be reminded of things that we already know. He told Timothy, Paul did in 1 Timothy chapter 4, you don't have to turn. He said, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. So one of the jobs of the preacher is just to remind you about things you already know. That shouldn't be boring to you. That's safe for you. That's helpful for you. The Bible tells us over and over again, he says, of these things, put them in remembrance charging them before the Lord. All those are in the pastoral epistles. So what do we need to be reminded of in the book of Jude? Would you look at it? Jude verse 5. He says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. You know what he reminds them of? And it's something they probably don't want to hear. It's something we don't want to hear. He reminds them of the judgment of God. Do you see that reminder there? He He doesn't say, I just want you to remember about how much God loves you. He didn't say that. He said, I want you to remember how God destroyed people. Do you see that in the Bible? We need to be reminded of the judgment of God. You know why? Because in the day of apostasy, people don't believe in the judgment of God. In the day in which we live, people don't believe in hell. In the day in which we live, people don't believe that there is a judgment for sin. We live in a day where people think there's no consequence for that. Or we live in a day where people believe in the judgment for others, but they don't believe in judgment for themselves. The day of apostasy is so dangerous because people have forgotten about the judgment of God. And he says, I need you to remind yourself and to be reminded often that God is a God of judgment. Will you listen to these two verses that if they weren't in the Bible, you wouldn't hear them at any liberal church. You won't hear them probably anywhere on the Internet. You'd have to look very hard. But here, here are two verses in the Bible. One's in the book of Psalms. Psalm 37, verse 28. For the Lord loveth judgment. Isaiah 61. The Bible tells us in verse number 8. God speaking. For I, the Lord, love judgment. And then he starts talking about things that he hates. You say, preacher, why would somebody love judgment? I tell you what, if somebody raped your wife, you would love judgment. Are you listening to me? If somebody killed one of your children, you would be interested in judgment, would you not? Only perverted people disdain judgment. Because things that are wrong need to be judged. And God is a God of judgment. And what happens in the last days, nobody remembers judgment. Nobody thinks anything deserves to be judged or need to be. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Well, that's not what God said. 
Matter of fact, God said this. And He didn't say this to the lost world. He said this to you and to me. He said that we are to judge ourselves. We live in a day people don't want to judge themselves. They want to judge everybody else. We live in a day where, you know, the day of apostasy, it's so important for you to judge yourself and be reminded, I need to judge myself. They, they used to call the front of the church the mourner's bench. By the way, that was in a better day in America. You know what people did at the mourner's bench? They cried over their sin. They judged themselves. God, I know I'm guilty. I'm sinful. I'm sorry. Cleanse me. We live in a day where nobody wants to judge themselves. And so the Bible says this. You can either judge yourself or you will be judged. So the remembrance is that God is a God of judgment. And though you look in society and you don't see that judgment, that doesn't mean it's not coming. Matter of fact, look at verse 17 of the book of Jude. He says in verse 17, but beloved, here he uses the word remember again. Jude 17, but beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after the own, their own ungodly lust. What's God going to do with all those walking after their own ungodly lust? Look at verse 15. To execute judgment. Do you see that? Upon all and to convince all that are ungodly. God says, all these people that are walking in these last days, I'm reminding you that they're mockers, that they're walking after their own lust, but I'm reminding you that God is a God of judgment and He will judge. He may not do it before the next election. He may not do it all in your lifetime, but God will always judge rightly. And sometimes as we live our lives, we forget that. And you know what I think sometimes what happens in our lives? We become bitter because we think God doesn't know how to take care of things. He says, give place unto wrath. He says, vengeance is, I will repay. Do you believe that in the Bible? If you believe that God will take care of the judgment of others that have wronged you, why can't you rest in that assurance and and just trust God to take care of that? Is it because we don't really believe God will judge it? We don't really believe God will make it right? Can we not trust God to make things right? You say, well, I don't see it right now. Well, I don't see it right in society now. But I believe the Word of God, and I have an example in the Word of God that He is a God of judgment. So, number one, I need to be reminded about God's judgment. Number two, by the way, I think that's a lot of reasons why people don't get saved. They don't believe, they don't see a need to get saved. What do I need to get saved for? There's no consequence for me being a sinner. I think that's why saved people don't live right. What does it matter how I live? There's no consequence if I don't do right. There is. God is a God of judgment. The second thing I want you to see, look at verse 5 again. He says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Here's the second thing I want you to think about in this verse. God's judgment on the heathen does not stop the judgment on you. Do you see this verse? God saved the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. What did He do to Egypt? 
He destroyed Egypt. What did he do to Pharaoh and his chariots and his army? What did he do? He destroyed them. What did he do with the firstborn of Egypt? He destroyed them. What did he do with all the land and the crops? He destroyed Egypt and he let his, he got his people out of there and he delivered them from Egypt. What did he do when he, he took them out of the land and, and then they met people that began to fight with them? He started destroying nation after nation after nation. Deuteronomy 7 verse 1 lists all those seven nations that he destroyed. He's destroying kings. He's destroying cities. He's destroying the heathen. I'm talking about wiping them out. No one left. And then he destroyed the children of Israel. You see the very probing thing in our hearts and minds this morning in Jude 5 is not that God destroys the heathen and the ungodly, but that God destroyed the people that he saved. Do you see that in the Bible? He destroyed the people that he saved out of the land of Egypt. Now, immediately you'll say, well, why did he do that? And we'll get to that in just a minute. But the first thing I want to tell you is that just because God's going to judge the heathen doesn't mean that he's not going to judge you. Do you understand that? Just because you know you're not going to hell and that you're saved out of the land of Egypt. And by the way, the word saved, it doesn't always mean saved from hell. It can mean saved from death. It can be saved from a lot of different things. And when he said he destroyed them out of the land, he didn't say he sent them to hell. It said he destroyed them. You know what, what Jesus, what, what God did to the children of Israel when they, after they came out of the land of Egypt? He killed them all. He killed all of them but two. And all the kids. He said, I'll, I'll give the minors a pass. By the way, if you're a minor, thank God for it. Amen. There's a day you're not going to get a pass. But he, he gave them a pass. He gave all the minors a pass. And to the guys, to the last man, he destroyed every one of them. Except for Joshua and Caleb. Guys, do you even understand? Even Aaron and Moses died. They did not even get to go in the promised land. What I'm trying to tell you right here from this passage about the judgment of God is just because God's going to judge the heathen, heathen does not mean he's not going to judge you. There's something in the Bible called chastening. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it begin at us, what's going to happen to this other crowd? I think sometimes we think because we are not atheists and we are not agnostics and we are not, uh, you know, living in a bush somewhere worshiping an idol or because uh, we're not sodomites that God's not going to judge us. That is not the principle of verse number five. The first thing God wants you to think about in judgment is about how he destroyed his own people because they fell away from the truth. So as we're living in this day of apostasy and we look at the judgment on Cain and we look at the judgment on Balaam and we look at the judgment on Korah and we look at the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, the first example that he gives us is God's judgment on the people that he saved 
out of the land of Egypt. And if God is not going to overlook the judgment in Moses and Aaron, he's not going to overlook it in our lives. He's not going to ignore it. You know what church ought to be? You ought to come in here this morning. You say, preach out. I want to learn something. Just want to come to church. No, God wants you to come in here and judge yourself. God wants you to come in here and look in your heart and say, okay, what in my life is not pleasing to the Lord? What in my life do I need to get right? What in my life do I need to confess? I want to, I want to have a good relationship with Jesus. I want to have a clean heart with God. Never mind all the weirdos in society. What about your heart? What about your life? That's his illustration. I'll preach your people are going into apostasy. All right, judge yourself. Be reminded to look in your own heart and get out of all of your life that which God will judge. Because look at our verse again. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believe not. Now, these are people that are privileged. So I would say this. Not only is God's judgment on the heathen does not... Stop yours, but your privileges don't exempt you from judgment. You know how privileged Israel was. Israel was the greatest nation, was the most peculiar people on the face of the earth. Let me just read you some, I'll just quote some verses for you. First Kings 10, 9. The Lord loved Israel forever. I'm, I'm glad that I have that promise too. God, God's going to love me forever. That doesn't mean he's not going to judge me. Are you listening to me? For thy people Israel didst thou make thine own people forever. God loved Israel to establish them forever. He said in Jeremiah 31, he said, listen, as long, listen to this, as long as there's a sun, as long as there's a moon, and as long as there's stars, he said, Israel's going to be my people. You know, there's still his people. Well, what happened? They were so privileged. Like you. Like me. Preacher, I believe the King James Bible. Yeah, that's a great privilege. Preacher, I was raised in a Christian home. That's a great privilege. Preacher, I'm part of a good, solid, independent, Dr. Selden Baptist Church. That's a wonderful privilege. Preacher, I got the Holy Ghost living in me. What a wonderful privilege. I was born in America. I've got good morals. I've got, you know, God's given some character in my life. Wonderful privileges that others don't have. But that does not exempt you from the judgment of God. Look at Romans chapter 3. Here's what I think sometimes, and really I'm not even gonna, I'm, I'm not even gonna elaborate on this, but years and years ago, there was an independent Baptist preacher that preached that you get bony, uh, brownie points with God. And that if you'll do enough good, then He'll just overlook your bad. That is heresy. Ask Moses and Aaron if He overlooked their things of goodness. And Moses begged them. He said, no, you're not going to the promised land. Why? Because you did something I told you. You didn't do what I told you to do. Your privileges does not exempt you from the judgment of God. Who your mother and daddy is. 
Listen, listen. How clean you look this morning does not exempt you. If you're a man, how short your hair is or how long your hair is a woman or how wonderfully you're dressed or the standards you live by, those privileges do not exempt you from the judgment of God. Romans chapter 3, look at all these privileges Israel had. They had what nobody else had until the church got, got all the privileges we've received. Romans 3 verse 1, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Look what he said in verse 2, Much every way. <laughs> they just got every advantage anybody could ever have. Much every way, watch it, chiefly, this is their greatest privilege, their greatest advantage, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. God spoke to them when he didn't speak to anybody else. God gave them the Bible, didn't give it to anybody else. What a privilege it is to have the Bible. Just because you have the Bible doesn't mean you're exempt. Look at Romans chapter, is it 8 that I want to go next? Look at Romans chapter, excuse me, chapter 9. Romans chapter, look at all these privileges Israel had. We're a privileged people. Romans chapter 9. Look at verse 4. Romans 9 verse 4. Who are Israelites. Look at all these privileges. To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises whose are the fathers and of whom is concerning the flesh Christ came who is over all God bless forever amen if there was ever a privileged class that was a special chosen people it's the nation of Israel but look at them today look at them through history if there has ever been a people God has judged it's Israel Starting in the wilderness, all the way to the present. And they're his people. You think you're going to be exempt? I don't think so. Drop down to verse number 22 of Romans 9. What if God, Romans 9, 22, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known. Now, we're, we're, we're in the book of Romans. The great book of salvation. The, the great God of salvation is still a God of wrath. We're reading about him. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath, fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy? which he had afore prepared in glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. This is what he says. So because Israel has stumbled, verse 31, 32, and 33 of the chapter, God's wrath upon them has resulted in God bringing the gospel to us as the Gentiles. Look at chapter 11, Romans chapter 11. Romans 11, verse number 1. Would you look at that please with me? I say then, Hath God cast away his people? He's talking about Israel, the last verse of the preceding chapter. Hath God cast away his people? God forbid. Anybody that tells you that God's through with Israel has not read Romans chapter 11. That's not true. Hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not, what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession of God against Israel. And he goes on to talk about Israel here. Now drop down to verse number 11. 
Verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. What a phrase. God, said, God says this, trying to reach my people again, I'm going to save another people to make them jealous so I can save them. You know, the only reason we Gentiles got in on the good grace of God is because God's still working with Israel and He's trying to make them jealous. What a verse. He's trying to use the conversion of the Gentiles to get a hold of the nation of Israel. Keep reading. Verse 12. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. In other words, that they're going to come back in the fullness. He's going to restore them again. Verse 15. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world... What shall be the receiving of them but life from the dead? In other words, one of these days, God's going to receive Israel again. You say, what's this have to do with me? I'm coming to it. Verse 16, for if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. If the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, that's Israel. And thou being a wild olive tree, that's what you are. You're wild. We Gentiles, we're just wild people. Work graft in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Boast not against the branches. In other words, don't, 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 don't be all uh, up in Israel's grill about how terrible they are. Boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, uh, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. I mean, God got rid of them, and I got put back in, I got put in the good grace of God. Look at verse 20. Well, well, okay. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And that's where we're going to end up in the book of Jude, verse 5. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by what? Be not, what does he say? High-minded, but what? I want you to look at verse 21. For if God spared not the natural branches. That's his people, Israel. Watch it. If God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. And he's going to say all Israel is going to be saved. But you know what this is? This is about the fact of God's judgment on the nation of Israel. And they're still being judged to this day. But he's saying, just because you're a part of the church and Jesus loves you and Jesus died for you and you're a part of the body of Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Ghost and you are in the family of God and you have all these privileges that the heathen world doesn't know about and your name is written in heaven and, and you've got a Bible and, and God's changed your life just because of all those privileges are true about you does not exempt you from the judgment of God if you don't listen to God and if you turn your heart from God. I'm not talking about hell. I'm talking about judgment in your life. So preacher, how and why does God judge us? Well, would you go back to our text? He tells you why. He tells you why he judged his, the nation of Israel though he brought them out of Egypt. He says in Jude, verse number 5, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, 
afterward destroyed them that what? Believed not. Now, mind you, there was a whole lot, there was a whole lot of reasons he destroyed him. You'd have to read First Corinthians ten about that. When they lusted, he destroyed him. The, the Bible said in Numbers eleven thirty four that they buried the people that lusted, and all they were wanting was flesh to eat instead of manna. They didn't want what God, the bread God gave them. They wanted flesh to eat. They lusted. God destroyed them. They, when they began worshiping idols, God destroyed them. They said, Phew, I don't have any idols. Uh, covetousness is idolatry. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that he destroyed them because they committed fornication. I'm sure we've never heard of a Christian that's committed fornication. That's why he destroyed them. He killed them, dropped them dead. Because they weren't faithful in their marriage relationships. They believed the lie of society that they could engage in all of those things outside of the marriage bond. So God destroyed them. The Bible says they tempted Christ. He destroyed them. The Bible said they murmured. (laughs) So he destroyed them. You know what 1 Corinthians 10 says? All of these things happened unto them for our ensamples. All of that was written in the Bible so you would learn from their history. So you would not commit fornication. So that you would put nothing else before God in your life. So that your life and my life wouldn't be filled with lusting and wanting things having to do with the flesh instead of wanting the things of God. So that we wouldn't murmur and complain and gripe. And really, I think all that, all that is wrapped up in that little phrase, He destroyed them that believed not. Do you know why people murmur and complain? I don't have time this morning. I'm running out of time. But in Hebrews chapter 3, he talks about how he destroyed the nation of Israel. And he says, don't you harden your heart. Now watch this right here. You know when we're on the path of destruction and the judgment of God in our lives as believers, as Christians, when our hearts get hard. When your heart gets hard, you're setting yourself up for God to cut your knees off. That's the testimony of Hebrews 3. The children of Israel got hard hearts. God got fed up to hear with them and he destroyed them. Let's just look while we close. Let's go to the the book of Numbers and we'll close there this morning. Afterward he destroyed them that believed not. Oh, preacher, preach to me about how awful society is. It is. Preach to me how it's never been this bad and how things in America have never been this evil. Preach it. It is. But God wants to remind you and I about the stuff that lurks in my heart and my mind that will cause God to judge me. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. Numbers 11, verse 1. Look at it. Are you looking at your Bible? Numbers 11, verse 1. And when the people, what's that word? Complained. 
When the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and His anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Why did He destroy His own people that He saved out of the land of Egypt? Because all they could do is complain. You know what I think complaining is? It's not believing God. It's not trusting God. It's not having faith in God. He destroyed them that believe not. What does that got to do with complaining? i tell you what it has to do with complaining. You don't really think God's good to you. That's why you complain. You don't believe that He has been gracious to you. That means that you don't deserve anything good in your life. You and I don't believe that He's been merciful to us. That He's held back judgment that we deserve. How could somebody that is a recipient of the mercy and the grace of God ever complain? We don't believe it. We don't believe how gracious God's been to us. We don't believe that we've gotten more than what we've ever deserved. That's why we complain about what we don't have. I deserve a better life. (laughs) You know, Ezra said an amazing thing. (laughs) He said, wherefore should a living man... Maybe it wasn't complain, a man for the punishment of sin. No, Ezra said that, that, Lord, you've punished us less than our iniquities deserve. We've got it real bad. But, and this is a holy man that knew that he deserved the judgment of God in his life. People that really believe that they're sinners and really believe that God is gracious and merciful will never complain. They will just say, thank you, Lord. My life's a whole lot better than I've ever deserved. And complainers just don't believe God. They don't believe the goodness of God. They don't believe what God says about them. So they complain. You know, if you were God, you probably wouldn't kill people for complaining. But when we lose thankfulness and gratitude in our hearts, we can talk all about the sin of that wicked world out there. But God says, if you want to spot a good, wicked sin in here, it's unthankfulness and a lack of gratitude and your complaining, murmuring spirit. How's that for preaching on Sunday morning? Here's what I don't want. I don't want want God's judgment on your life. What kind, of, what kind of pastor would I be if I didn't remind you that your complaining spirit is incurring the judgment of God in your own heart? Look at verse, uh, look at chapter 14. Numbers 14. Numbers 14, the Bible says, verse 22, God's talking to them. Numbers 14, 22, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not, watch it, watch it, have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoke see me. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath fully had followed me fully. Him will I bring in the land. Look at verse number 
28. Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ear, so will I do to you. Watch it, watch it, verse 29. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless ye shall not come to the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb, the son of Jephthah, and Joshua, the son of Nun. He said, you know what? You did not hearken to my voice. You know, Mervyn complained you didn't listen to me. And I talked to you over and over and over again, and you wouldn't listen to me. And so because you won't listen to me, and because you won't believe me, you're, all of you are going to die in this wilderness, and I'm going to destroy you in this wilderness. Though I saved you out of the land of Egypt, I'm going to destroy you in the wilderness because you didn't believe me. Now, do you know what all this is about? All this is about when they went into the promised land, right? And they sent the spies and they came back. And they came back and God told them to go into the land. And they came back and said, we can't do that. We can't do what God said. Guys, it doesn't matter what God says. If He tells you to do it, do it. It doesn't matter if He tells you to go in the land. It doesn't matter if He tells you to stand on your head. It doesn't matter if He tells you to, to live a certain way or dress a certain way or talk a certain way or, or live a certain kind of life. If God tells you to do it, you do it. And when you don't do it, it's because you're not believing Him. You're not trusting Him. You're not putting faith in what He's saying. You're not exercising faith in His commandment. God told them to go into the land. And they came back and said, we just can't do it. Except two guys. Now this is, this is in the message, and it's the most important part because it's the positive part. If you want to escape the judgment of God, listen, come here. Be like Joshua and Caleb. Do you understand the principle? If you want to escape the days of apostasy and the judgment of God, if you want to be what God wants you to be, you better look at the life of Joshua and Caleb and say, that's the history I want to repeat. That's the life I want to live. You know what they said? They came back and said, hey, don't listen to these guys. We may be in the minority, but we've got a big God. And whatever God tells us to do, we can do it. Caleb said this. We're more than able. It's not just that we're able. We're more than able. We believe God. You know, those two guys that say that and everybody else says something else. Pretty hard to stand alone like that sometimes. But all the rest of those guys died. And Joshua and Caleb, listen to me, I'm finished represent that remnant in the day of apostasy that says, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to trust God. If it's just two of us, we're going to trust God. If there's just two of us, we're going to do what God told us to do. If all, listen, I'm not talking about all the heathen telling them they couldn't do it. The people of the nation of Israel were all united saying they couldn't do it. If all of the Christian community turns their back on God, if there's two of us left, let us be Joshua and Caleb. And I don't have some kind of a complex thinking I'm all by myself because I'm not. But I'm telling you, I want to please God. I don't want to bring judgment upon my life or my family. And I'll do it if I don't trust Him, if I don't believe Him.
So let me ask you this, this morning. Where's your faith? Let me ask you this morning. Is there something you need to judge in yourself? We mentioned several things. I could have not even mentioned it. In the day of apostasy, I remind you, you need to judge yourself. And you need to trust God. And do what he said. Let's bow our heads for prayer this morning. Heads bowed and eyes closed today.